MSW Media. News was wearing daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, December 23rd, 2020. Today, federal prosecutors have discussed and likely already have communications from Rudy Giuliani and the Southern District of New York's investigation into FARA violations, campaign finance violations, and money laundering violations. Governor Gavin Newsom has appointed Alex Padilla to take Kamala Harris's Senate seat. Trump surrounds himself with conspiracy theorists as he continues to try to overturn the election results. Pennsylvania finds proof of voter fraud, and it was for Trump. Trump's special money friend, Rosemary Vrablick, resigns from Deutsche Bank, and comedian and actress Kathy Griffin talks about the multiple lawsuits she's fighting in state and federal court. I'm your host, A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Oh, big news day. Uh, the hits keep coming, um, Dana. I, They just... The news isn't slowing down like I thought it would. I feel like we're in, like, the 12th round of a fight, and, like... We sort of look like we're about to go down and then they pop back up and then there's a few more punches and it looks like we're about to go down and then we pop back up. But it's not a regular boxing match, right? It's like a Rocky yeah. boxing match. Like, my gosh, every punch is landing. Like, it just doesn't even make any sense. I can't put any more Vaseline over my eye. Like, there's nothing else I can do. Cut me, Mick. Cut me. Uh, so anyway, today, awesome show. I got to spend two whole segments. We're going to fill the B block and the C block with a discussion I had with Kathy Griffin, who I just absolutely love. She's and amazing. All of the, yeah. the, she's fighting so many lawsuits right now. She has, she was under investigation from two federal agencies. She's been interrogated, you know, all in the name of the first amendment. And it's so on the like level of, you know, what Lenny Bruce went through and what Larry Flint went through. I mean, this is like major First Amendment shit. And, you know, we'll see how far it goes. But I mean, she's been just relentlessly under attack, but she continues to 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 win her cases. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. Thank goodness. Yeah. And Biden did some comments today about uh, uh, he well, first of all, he mentioned some he, he was asked after he delivered his comments, which were really pretty harsh on Trump. He was like this Russian hack happened on Trump's watch while he wasn't watching. Nice. <laughs> and and everybody knows it's Russia and he won't say it. And fuck that guy. And I'm going to take action. And here we go. And it, it, it's great because he's not even like vote for me because we already did. Right. We're done with that part. Yep. <laughs> we finished that part. We did. We voted in numbers too big to manipulate. But he did say when asked about his attorney general pick, he said, uh, well, I'm announcing something tomorrow but not on attorney general he's gonna announce his uh, secretary of education tomorrow mm-hmm. and then um he's but he hinted that he would announce his attorney general because they asked the same question we asked on our show because yay us we you know we had asked you know is he waiting until after the january 5th runoffs to to decide who to put in mm-hmm. his attorney general or to like not fuck with that election right uh, but he, he said no. He said he's going to have a decision. He, at least he hinted that he would have a decision by by New Year's. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. And we do have a lot of uh, headlines to get to. Really juicy ones. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Oh, I forgot to tell you, Dana, Uh-oh. before I get into the lead story, about a tweet. 
that I thought was a joke. I was like, oh, haha, I see what you did. But then I realized it was Jack Posobiec or po- Posobiec or the guy from OAN. Okay. And I was like, oh, he's not kidding. And he tweeted, he seriously tweeted this a couple of days ago. He said, what if instead of a vaccine, we just were able to get exposed to a weak version of the virus that enabled us to build the antibodies the we need to fight up. the real thing? Shut yeah. Up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. Instead of instead of putting ice in my drink, what if I took water and got it really, really froze fucking it. cold? Like froze it in a dish that made it square. What what do you think? And I still am like I retweeted it, like this is a joke, right? This is a joke. Cause sometimes I fall for these parody accounts. Yeah, I know, me too. I try and look at them and I, I what I do is I go to the account and I'm like, what other bullshit's coming out of this account? And then I go, Oh wow, this person's really good at this parody account. And then sometimes that happens like with Pat Robertson coming forward and being like, Trump won the I lost the election. I'm like, was that audio dubbed? Yeah. <laughs> is that a, is that one of those deep fakes? Yeah. Cause like I I almost put in the up top in the headlines I almost put and Pat Robertson is still irrelevant and no one cares. But I mean he did come out and call Trump pretty much a conspiracy theorist. So anyway, the lead story today um is the update that we're receiving from NBC News regarding the federal investigation into Kaludi Rudy Giuliani. We've been reporting on this for over a year now, uh, that the Southern District of New York is actively investigating Rudy for his business shenanigans in Ukraine, his work with sanctioned Russian agent Dirk Hotch, and his work to unearth the fabricated dirt on Hunter Biden. So NBC last night, Maddo did this too, reported that they had heard there were discussions within the Southern District to obtain Rudy's electronic communications, though they did not say what those communications were regarding. Uh, the reason that this is news, you know, because everyone was like, yeah, he's been being under investigation for like a year now at least but the news is that it's still going on and possibly ramping up right maybe maybe the southern district sort of stopped within the 60 day of the election you know time frame per department of justice policy Uh, even though i think Barr revoked that policy but they still followed it maybe and now it's just rearing its head again or it's because they were asking for communications but that's the news and then scott stedman reported today, uh, he's from Forensic News, that he heard from his source that the Southern District already has Rudy's emails. But again, we don't know what those emails are about. And as we know from public reporting, Rudy was hooked up with fraud guarantee um, that was funded by presumably Dmitry Firtosh, who's backed by the Kremlin. And he was, you know, Rudy was hired by Parnas uh, through that firm for all kinds of legal work, quote unquote. And Parnas has just filed a motion to dismiss his indictment based on selective prosecution. I got this tweet from Parnas this morning. He asked, he's asking for eight points of discovery, including an explanation as to why he was charged, but Victoria Tonsig, Joe DeGeneva, Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump, Solomon, John Solomon, he's the one who published the the, the quote-unquote fabricated dirt from Furtosh on Hunter Biden, um, Solomon, America First Super PAC, and a redacted name. He, he wants to know why they weren't arrested. And he's also asking for all communications between the Southern District and the Trump team as to why the others weren't charged and anything else about Lev Parnas himself. So that's an interesting file motion to dismiss that he filed today Mm. or his lawyer did, Joe Bondi. Of course, all this is speculation about the investigation into Rudy and all of it could could become moot. Right. If Trump pardons Rudy, because this is a Southern District of New York investigation. It's federal. federal. 
Um, unless, of course, the, the challenge or the pardon, if there is a pardon, is challenged by prosecutors, you know, as corrupt. But we've had many, many discussions about people that think that that won't happen or that it can't happen or it shouldn't happen. Um, I, I happen to think it could happen. It doesn't mean that we would win, right. but, you know, it should be challenged. Absolutely. Um, so that'll be interesting what happens all this. We can just keep our fingers crossed. And hopefully uh, the AG of New York also has some things up her sleeve. That would be really lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that they're states crimes. Um, speaking of states, this one's from California. Alex Padilla, California's Secretary of State, has been appointed to... <laughs> nice segue. Thank you. I think that was... Good. I'm, I, I rolled with it for a second and I was like, hang on a minute. Speaking of states, this is about California. <laughs> Thank you. I love uh, you. All right. So Alex Padilla, who is the California Secretary of State, has been appointed to fill the Senate seat held by Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. Governor Gavin Newsom announced on Tuesday capping months of intense political jockeying among Democratic factions in the state. So... He's the son, Padilla is the son of a Mexican-born immigrant, uh, two of them actually, Mexican-born immigrants who settled in Los Angeles' San Fernando Valley. Mr. Padilla, who is 47 years old, he will be the first Latino senator from California, where that population, Latinos, are about 40% of the state's population. Now, he said, I am honored and humbled by the trust placed in me by Governor Newsom, and I intend to work each and every day to honor that trust and deliver for all Californians, Mr. Badia said in a statement. So California progressives um, had been pushing um, Gavin to appoint Representative Barbara Lee or another like-minded Democrat, and um, Gavin Newsom was also under pressure to appoint a black woman to take the place of you know, uh, Kamala's seat. Um, because she was the only black woman in the Senate. Representative Karen Bass and Miss Lee were at the top of that list. Now, listen, um, AG, I'm, I, I agreed with that. I would love to have a woman of color take the seat. I also think there's something wonderful to be said about having our first Latino senator um, in the Senate and having that be a representation of already 40% of the population of this state. So I, I, I see benefits to both. Um, I would have loved to have seen uh, Kamala's seat be replaced by another woman of color, but I'm not upset about this choice. Yeah, I mean, 40% Latino population, I feel like ought to be, since we only get two senators, which is bullshit. Right. I know. You know, I think there ought to be some representation there as well. But, uh, you know, I mean, we're a fully democratic state, so. And I'll say this, and I may get some flack for this, Uh, maybe it's time for Feinstein to retire i mean maybe it's time to replace the other senator that we have um with a woman of color so that that would be i would i for the right person i would vote heavily in favor of that Mm. yeah and i know she is stepping down from her um she's vice chair of the house judiciary Mm -hmm. committee she is stepping down from that role so we'll see who gets to fill that uh but yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. She, I don't know that she's going to run again. I think she's uh, up for re-election, or she would be in 2024. Yeah. Uh, and from our friend David Enrich at the New York Times, we've had him on several times. President Trump's longtime banker at Deutsche Bank, who arranged for the German lender to make hundreds of millions of dollars in loans to Trump's company, is stepping down. She's resigning. Rosemary Vrablick, a managing director and senior banker at Deutsche Bank's wealth management division, recently handed in a resignation, which the bank accepted. So, while the reasons behind her departure are not clear, 
We know from previous reporting from Dave Enrich that Deutsche Bank had opened an internal review in, into a 2013 real estate transaction between Vreblick and a company owned in part by Kushner. Uh, there's a guy named Dominic Scalzi, a longtime colleague of Vreblick, who played a role in that transaction. He's also leaving the bank. Hmm. So again, not sure why she's leaving, but her and the guy who did the transaction with Kush that the bank was investigating are both leaving? I mean, hmm. come on. Seems... <laughs> Seems like more than a coincidence, yeah, right? I would think so. <laughs> so this transaction with Kushner that led to the internal investigation was about a Park Avenue apartment that Vreblick and Scalzi and another Deutsche Bank colleague purchased for about $1.5 million from a company called Burgle 715 Associates in June of 2013. Mr. Kushner held an ownership stake in that company at the time. Uh, on Earth One, bankers that lend folks money tend to steer clear of doing personal business with them. And it wasn't until after the New York Times contacted Deutsche Bank about the transaction that they that launched their internal investigation. So, I mean, just think about that timeline. Uh, and at the time of that transaction, Vreblick was rapidly expanding Deutsche Bank's relationship with the Trumps and the Kushners. And it was Kushner who, in 2011, invited Vreblick to Trump Tower in Manhattan to meet Trump, his dad, father-in-law, his dad-in-law who was, uh, at that time, pretty much radioactive to most large banks. Like, they wouldn't <laughs> touch him. Like, he's big kryptonite. Uh, Mr. Trump's key contacts at his bigger, biggest financial backer are leaving at a perilous time for the departing president, according to David Enrich. He owes Deutsche Bank, as we know, about $330 million. And those loans come due in 2023 and 2024. Mr. Trump provided a personal guarantee to get the loans, meaning that if he fails to pay them back, the bank can seize his shit. And uh, that's interesting. And if Deutsche Bank is in trouble, the government can seize that shit. And then it belongs to us. Dun, dun, Ooh, dun, dun, dun. And I'm burning it. I am burning it. Okay, everybody. This just in. President Trump pardons a slew of people, including George Papadopoulos and Duncan Hunter. President Trump granted clemency to 20 people on Tuesday. Holy the Christmas shit. Holiday. Among the high-profile pardons are Duncan Hunter, who pleaded guilty to uh, misusing campaign funds, George Papadopoulos, former campaign advisor who was charged in connection with special counsel Robert Mullet's investigation. Mueller? Mullet's? Robert Mullet. That's who that is now. <laughs> the move comes as activists have lobbied Trump to use his extensive powers. Before the latest batch, Trump had issued 28 pardons and 16 commutations. Uh, while Trump has pardoned a number of politically connected allies, he also has intervened in the cases of some people. Your top line thoughts, Dana? Um, I, there's going to be more. I mean, it, 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 I, I, this is going to happen between now and the uh, the inauguration. We'll see if he even is still president, honestly, at Joe Biden's inauguration, because he may resign and have Pence take over and pardon him. I have no idea how this is going to work, but we're going to start seeing a slew of these come through. Oh, there's more. Uh, George Papadopoulos, Duncan Hunter, Chris Collins. And that's another guy who uh, was insider trading. The four Blackwater guards involved in the Iraq massacre uh, are in there. Also included in this batch announced on Tuesday are Alex Vanderswan, the Dutch lawyer who was sentenced to 30 days in jail after pleading guilty to lying to Mueller investigators. Two Border Patrol agents convicted in 2006 of shooting and wounding an unarmed, undocumented immigrant and then covering it up. Son of a bitch. Uh, these are going to make me angry. I know it. I, there's going to be some of these on here that are really going to fucking piss me off. Uh, he also commuted the remaining prison term for former rep Steve Stockman, a Texas Republican who was convicted by a jury in Texas of almost two dozen felonies, including including fraud and money laundering. 
White House cited Stockman's age, 64. He said he has an underlying pre-existing health condition. Alfonso Costa, a dentist who pleaded guilty to health care fraud. Alfred Lee Crum, who pleaded guilty in 1952 to illegally distilling moonshine. <laughs> Weldon Angelos, who was sentenced to a 55-year prison term for selling pot and carrying a handgun. Philip Lyman, county commissioner in Utah, who was sentenced to 10 days in jail related to his protest of ATV restrictions on federal land. And Otis Gordon, who was convicted of possession with intent to distribute. Oh, my God. I really do hope that he kept a list of everything he is getting for some of these because they're so, like, random. There had to have been a, hey, let me put some money in your campaign fund. fund. Uh Philip S. Formes, a Florida nursing home mogul convicted of paying bribes in a Medicare fraud case. So a guy who ripped off the elderly. Cool, cool. He had some of his sentence commuted. Trump also reduced the sentences of three women, Crystal Munoz, Tynese Nicole Hall, and Judith Negron, convicted of drug crimes at the recommendation of Johnson, who has worked on behalf of other inmates after the president commuted her own sentence. Good. Those three. Good. Absolutely. They're going to have to mix some good in with the bad. Otherwise, he just looks like a criminal. (laughs) So the Mueller investigation pardons. Both Papadopoulos and Vanderswan pleaded guilty to lying to investigators. Papadopoulos lied to investigators about his contacts with people connected to Russia. We all know who Papadopoulos is. I don't need to go through this. We know who Vanderswan is as well. Vanderswan was the son-in-law of Ukrainian-Russian billionaire Herman Kahn, who spent almost a month in prison before being deported to Europe in 2018. Uh, this is not something that happened to him. It's something he did. Federal Judge Amy Berman Jackson said at Vanderswan sentencing, he put his personal interest ahead of the interest of justice. Former congressman, and they just kind of go through Chris Collins, Duncan Hunter, and that crazy motherfucker from Texas. The Blackwater Guards, Nicholas Slatton, Paul Slough, Evan Liberty, Evan Liberty, really, and Dustin Hurd were convicted by a federal jury in 2014 after a lengthy trial that saw some 30 witnesses travel from Iraq to testify against them. They illegally unleashed powerful sniper fire machine guns and grenade launchers on innocent men, women, and children. According to prosecutors, the four were among seven Blackwater employees who opened fire at the Nurser Square traffic circle in Baghdad, killing 17 people. And then the Border Patrol agents who murdered an unarmed immigrant. Oh, my God. That pisses me off. I know. It'll make your blood boil. It's going to make our blood boil. Just take deep breaths. Pardon, please. It's going to get worse. So everybody buckle up. All right. Listen, AJ, I want you to sit down if you're not. And for the listeners out there, I want you to kind of just take this one in. Um, Officials have found a case of a dead person voting. You heard that right. Just one, though. Just one dead person voting. Uh, But they have. There's been some voter fraud. So Bruce Bartman has now been charged with unlawful voting and perjury over allegations that he pretended to be his dead mother to cast a ballot in November election for President Donald J. Trump in Pennsylvania. I'm sorry. The one case they found of a dead person voting was a Republican. Okay. So Bartman, like, isn't, wasn't that a thing on The Simpsons? Like, uh, yeah. Doing the Bartman or something. There was a dance. Yeah. I don't know. I can actually picture him with a, the mask on. That, so this he, he he pretended to be his dead mother. Like it was it like a weekend at Bernice's type of a situation? Or oh no, it gets, it gets better. It gets better because it's oh. not just yeah. So the Delaware County District Attorney Jack uh, Stahlsteimer he announced charges in a press release Monday. Bartman, who was arrained Friday huh? and released on, I know it's really funny. Huh? Bartman 
was released on a $100,000 bail, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. So if convicted on all charges, the 70-year-old Bartman could spend up to 19 years in prison. So this is a quote. This is the only known case of a dead person voting in our county. Conspiracy theories notwithstanding, Stolzmeyer said in a statement. Further, the prompt prosecution of this case shows that law enforcement will continue to uphold our election laws whenever presented with actual evidence of fraud (laughs) and that we will continue to investigate every allegation that comes our way. So prosecutor Sid Bartman uh, registered two dead people. That's where it gets better. He registered two dead people, A.G. His mother, Elizabeth Bartman, and his mother-in-law... Elizabeth, also Elizabeth, which is weird, Elizabeth Wyman. So these are, yeah, he registered them both as Republican voters in August. So this was a new thing. He actually took the time. He used the state's online voter registration portal, which allows residents to register to vote using their driver's license number or the last four digits of their social security number. So he used his mother-in-law's social security number to register well, that actually was flagged in the state system as belonging to someone who was what? Dead. <laughs> Prosecutors added, but the software sent a letter addressed to her, addressed to her to confirm whether or not she was alive. <laughs> so now they're sending her mail saying, hey, can you confirm whether or not this was you? I'm assuming the person who got that letter was probably Mr. Bartman. So Bartman lied on the form and pretended to be Wyman, Elizabeth Wyman, his his mother-in-law, prosecutor said, but ultimately did not request an absentee ballot. So in her, he he did for one of them, but did not request an absentee ballot in her name. So he was also registered. He also registered his dead mother to vote and ultimately successfully cast the ballot for Trump and other Republicans in her name. So as we've known, this voter fraud is extremely rare in the United States. A database maintained by the Conservative Heritage Foundation found only 193 convicted cases of voter fraud between 2000 and 2020. So in the last 20 years, and during that time, more than 250 million votes had been cast. 193 in 250 million. So Republicans, as they like to frequently make baseless claims that voter fraud has a larger scope and scale while pushing for laws that would make it harder for people to vote. So uh, they found their, they Mm. found their, yep, they found their voter fraud in Pennsylvania and it was Republican. Dun, dun, dun. So to all the Republicans who say, this is why we need voter IDs. So dude can't show up and pretend to be Elizabeth Bartman and cast a vote (laughs) for Trump. Uh, but but again, uh, they found it. it it's <laughs> you... <laughs> oh, it really is just a beautiful thing. That's what I'm saying. Remember, like mm-hmm. I, I think Lindsey Graham needs to watch her P's and Q's because if they start investigating, that's what's going to happen. They're going to unearth mm-hmm. all kinds of shit. And I'm I would just mm-hmm. if I was them, I would just be quiet by now. Uh, yep. Well, that's what they do. They they accuse others of that which they are guilty. Uh, anyway, next up, the incredible Kathy Griffin. Uh, ha- she has never shied away from speaking her mind, and she'll be here to discuss the myriad lawsuits she's fighting herself, all in the name of the First Amendment. She'll be, uh, she'll be with us right after this break, so stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. 
Hey everybody, it's AG, and today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by American Giant. Did you know back in the 60s, 95% of all clothing was made in the USA, and today only 3% is. That is weird, right? Most of the stuff we buy now is made overseas. It feels disposable, poorly made because people want to cut corners. And that's why I think right now is the perfect time to buy clothes made here. At American Giant, they want to make things better by making better things. American Giant has built a 100% USA-based supply chain. They have strong relationships to factories and workers and communities at every single step of that chain. It's not the cheapest, but it makes for a better sweatshirt. And it's better for the people and for our planet. It's sustainable. Uh, it's not, you know, like I said, they, they make clothes that are durable, not disposable. So they're reclaiming the American tradition of making high quality clothes that last. Clothes that are meant to be used more, so you need to buy them less. Their clothes are meant to be worn more and kept longer. And so they don't end up in landfills. I recently got their fleece trucker jacket. It's perfect for the cold weather. It's so warm and snuggly, very soft, very comfortable, very stylish. And best of all, it was manufactured here in the USA, supporting local communities and workers. So check out American Giant and get the best, most high quality clothes on the market. Get 15% off your first order when you use promo code DAILYBEANS at American-Giant.com. That's 15% off when you use code DAILYBEANS at American-Giant.com. All right, everybody. Welcome back. I'm honored to be joined today by comedian, actress, activist, and now professional defendant, Kathy Griffin. Kathy, welcome. I'm so excited to meet you, by the way. I'm a big fan. And one thing I will tell you before my, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, since my infamous um, Trump photo scandal, which I believe your listeners know about, mm-hmm. I have actually become friends with more people in the law profession and journalists than anything. I mean, I know some actors, you know what I mean? I, I still talk to the Kardashians, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> you guys are my new people and I love it. I, we love you too. Yeah. When I started the podcast, I ended up being friends with all these former U.S. attorneys and FBI people. I never thought that would be my jam, but here we are. And I am a huge fan of yours, too, going back a really long time. I think ever since I saw you at Pulp Fiction, believe it or not. That was like one of my... I carried that film, honey. Let me tell you, my two lines in Pulp Fiction are why it won the Palm d'Or. And thank you for pretty much saying that. I concur wholeheartedly. Uh, So here's... I want to talk to you today about you becoming a professional defendant. And this kind of all started... Now, we know it started with the Trump... Uh, photo, right? The Trump holding the Trump mask photo. Uh, Still the first person in history, much less female comedian, to be um, put under investigation, not just, and everybody knows the picture. It's me with what appears to be Trump's severed head. It's a Halloween mask, but okay. And um, actually put under investigation by two um, agencies in the DOJ, the Secret Service and the U.S. Attorney's Office. So while of course I have empathy for the other comics that maybe got a call and that's now become almost a little bit of a badge of honor. In 2017, when it happened to me, it was not. It was a full-on investigation, uh, which they carried out. I was interrogated under oath by the Secret Service. I had to lawyer up like crazy. And um, they wanted me at one point, they called my attorney, Alan Isaacman, very a brilliant First Amendment attorney, and um, famously defended the landmark Supreme Court case, uh, Jerry Falwell versus Hustler Magazine, because... When you talk as much smack as I do, you want that guy. You want Larry Flint's lawyer. Yes, you kind of do. And I'm not a porn person. And yet that's, you know. So anyway, um, so yeah, they wanted actually, they wanted me to do a perp walk as well. So the the DOJ, either with the U.S. Attorney's Office or Secret Service, was calling Alan nearly daily to say, will she come in? And, it, you know, having that explained to me was so bizarre. And I, t- I kept saying, wait, wh- I'm going to the downtown precinct to do what? I'm, I'm putting on a jumpsuit and plastic hand, you know, so that kind of became the biggest thing to fight for, uh, in my opinion. And so anyway, I was fully investigated, interrogated, 
and they were considering charging me with the crime of conspiracy to assassinate the president of the United States. I was exonerated, unlike the Donald, when he says he was exonerated, <laughs> I actually have a letter from the DOJ saying, all right, all right, you're exonerated. But anyway, so that's, that's my story. Um, and um, I'm so, oh, and the dogs are here. Hey, doggo. So, <laughs> innocent, they're yelling, innocent. <laughs> well, you beat me. I was only investigated by one agency, the Officer General Counsel for my podcast. Uh, so, Wait, whoa, whoa. And where did you did you testify? No. Uh, well, I had I was interrogated uh, under oath by uh, my supervisors at Department of Veterans Affairs. I asked for legal counsel. They denied me twice. It's a whole long. It's a bunch of shenanigans. By the way, do we talk about like even for you, right? You're a gal about town. This is you know this world, and you're like a smarty pants. I didn't even go to college. But isn't it weird when they're swearing you in? It's I found it I found it to be incredibly intimidating. Like, I just, I don't know, there was, for me, there was an air about the whole thing of this isn't really happening. And, you know, I, I don't know how you felt about like, oh, someday I'll turn this into, well, material. I don't know if you tell as many dick jokes as I do, but um, <laughs> that kind of went out the window. Like, how did, how did you feel when they were like, raise your right hand? It was, it was both simultaneously terrifying and hilarious because while they were interrogating me to, to ask me if it was indeed me that was running this podcast, because I go by a pseudonym. They took me to Twitter and showed me a video of myself on stage in a, a sold-out theater splitting the audience into three uh, sections so we could sing a three-part harmony of Trump is fucked. You're obviously very serious. Um, a dissident is, is saying it lightly. I know I'm a, I was a threat to society. And I'm going to just say, just based on talking to you, I kind of feel that way to you about you as well. Well, we are connected in that way. Um <laughs> How fun. <laughs> One day when this COVID is over, we can have a glass of wine about it. Um, so this all started with this kid named Sandman and that viral video. And you, this is, of course, after your investigation by the Secret Service, right, uh, for the assassinate, attempted assassination of the President of the United States. Okay. Um, tell us what you tweeted that day, because the tweet is what they're suing over, right? That is, is your tweet. Yes. So as the lawsuits continue, and by the way, just just for shits and giggles, if I may curse, um, I'm also still being sued by my former next door neighbor, who is a Trumper. Um, he's the CEO of a company called KB Homes. His name is Jeffrey Mesger. And he um, and I have a tape of it because the, I caught it on my freaking Nest security cameras. He went in his backyard and was screaming, um, invoking Trump's name and calling me a cunt and a bitch and a dyke. And so, you know, what, once you're kind of in the crosshairs of the Trump crowd, they can get very litigious. Um, and that case also has been dismissed. And of course, he's appealing. So the Covington High case is everybody remembers when the Covington High kids, although I don't even know if they're kids anymore. And I wouldn't really call them kids at the time. I went to Catholic high school. Let me tell you what I never, ever would have gotten away with. Going on a field trip. First of all, field trip out of state is very fancy. Like I went to Catholic school in Illinois. Maybe we went to like Saugatuck, Michigan. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> and so they went to the National Mall. I don't believe the trip was to attend a an anti-choice uh, rally, but I think they decided to. There's several tapes surrounding the incident where now, now famous Nick Sandman confronts a man named Nathan Phillips, a Native American man. And... Um, I'm sorry, doesn't confront. What was it? His story is he was diffusing the situation. Mm, right. And I just, 
okay, so as that was all unfolding, many, many people were, you know, it was, it was all over the news, the national news, if not the international news. And I, like many other folks, picked up the Twitter machine and started expressing my outrage, you know, and I, you know, they, I, I gotta say, um, those, those high school boys in particular, they really reminded me of that feeling of being in high school where those guys are ganging up on somebody. And then there's like the guy that maybe is the popular guy or the jock. And there's another video I've seen where they appear to be saying, you know, you're going girl, like the girls are going to get raped and things like that. And girls are laughing nervously. And I, I don't, I don't know anybody's story in that, but we all went to high school. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I fired off three tweets and basically was saying, who are these kids? I want names. Let the school know how you feel. And um, I believe it was something like six months later, I got served with the state case, which is um, called the Holland case, because originally they also were going after Senator Warren and now Secretary Holland, then Congress, Congresswoman Deb Holland. And luckily, those ladies got dismissed because of some uh, something about being an elected. And currently, um, so I, I fired off three tweets. Now, in the press, they'll say that I was doxing. So because you're a smarty pants, do me a favor and please explain to your listeners the difference between actual doxing and me saying, you know, maybe saying not so nice things about these kids and saying, I want names. Mm. Uh, I am not a lawyer, but uh, I would believe, or at least I would think, that actual doxing would be giving out personal information, phone numbers, addresses, and telling people to go harm or do violent acts or protest at those areas versus, you know, this. I think you have to be explicit when you dox, don't you? Well, um, you, by the way, what you're describing sounds an awful lot like what an awful lot of people have done to Governor Whitmer and doing Google Earth maps of her home, um, arranging incidents outside her home. And ironically, one of the uh, one of the lawyers that rolls with the lawyers that are coming at me, I don't think he's the plaintiff's lawyer technically, but his name is Lynn Wood. I'm sure you're familiar with his work. <laughs> the, the guy who just swore under plenty of perjury, that guy? Yes. He, in my opinion, enjoys the perjury. And also, I believe he encouraged people to go to Brian Kemp's house and drive around the block. And I would also suggest that with that crowd, it doesn't take a lot of encouragement. I mean, I'm sure you're following the story that's happening in Oregon today of uh, militia members and Let's make sure that doesn't mean Antifa, which is also not a group, an ideology, and also I believe has seven members, but actual, you know, the, the Trump cult, and they show up with AK-47s, and they, uh, you know, uh, doxing, in, in my understanding, the most severe form of it that's probably prosecutable, if that's a word, is when you give private information. Yep. So number one, I wasn't giving, I didn't know anyone's name, so I wasn't giving anyone's name. I certainly wasn't giving out emails or information that couldn't be obtained um, in any kind of a, a public way. So they've decided to go for that. However, in the state case, they're coming after me and gosh, I, I don't remember all the names off the top of my head, but it's about eight other co-defendants. It's uh, Matthew Dowd from ABC News. It's- um, Cruz, Kevin Cruz. Yeah, it's yeah. it's Kevin. Yeah, Kevin, is it Cr Cruz? I think it's the, Cruz or Cruz. Yeah, he's a historian at Princeton, I believe. It's Maggie Haberman from the New York Times. It's Reza Aslan. It's um, Anna Cabrera. Is she on there? I don't know if Anna is, but uh, she might. She might be. But I'm the only comic, and primarily it's members of the press. So in a way, I'm flattered. <laughs> but also, you know, Nick Sandman has been very open 
about wanting to bankrupt the mainstream media, as he says. And um, since they filed this case, he apparently made some sort of settlement with CNN and WAPO. Now, no one knows what that is, by the way. So he went for $250,000. I don't know if he got $2.50. I also don't know why they caved, but I will not be caving. And so um, in the state case, which is still pending, we've had one hearing in Covington, um, the, the judge who, by the way, um, her two sons go to Covington, um, the judge there, uh, that case is pending. And um, then there's a federal case, like literally, my mom used to say, Kathleen, you make a federal case out of everything. And wouldn't she be proud? I'm actually defended in a federal case. And that case is against me, myself and I, just me. They're just going for the loudmouth redhead with the picture. And that one um, is, uh, uh, the plaintiffs are a family called the Blessings. And they've gotten, I believe, 10 or 11 other Covington families along with them. Now, some of these families, I believe, are still, still allowed to be John Doe's. So I don't know if Sandman is one of the other plaintiffs or not. Um, I don't know who's funding these. Uh, it can't be cheap. Um, but that case is, um, uh, that case has already played out. And they, in that one, among other things, they are charging me with uh, terroristic threats and um, cyber terrorism, which are criminal charges. And that case has already been dismissed in the federal court. However, they're appealing, of mm. course. And so that case has, uh, they're hearing our oral arguments on January 12th in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in the Eastern District of Kentucky. Yeah, I do want to talk about that uh, appeal and the dismissal and some of the other decisions. I do have to take a quick break. Do you mind if we come right back? Of course not. Go Do your thing. All right. Hold on, everybody. We'll be right back with Kathy Griffin. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Plush Care. With everything that's going on that's so crazy, it's uncertain these days, it puts things in perspective, and it reminds us that our health is the most important thing of all. And despite everything that's going on, it is crucial to be able to see a doctor when you're not feeling well. Our hospitals are at 100% capacity right now here in Southern California, and that's why I use Plush Care. Plush Care provides primary and urgent health care through virtual appointments, and scheduling an appointment even for the same day is so easy. I just pick a slot that works and click. Two clicks, I'm done. I don't waste time on hold, and I don't go to crowded waiting rooms either. And with my Plush Care membership, I can see my doctor from the comfort of my own home and my jammies if I want. And with Plush Care, I can get diagnosed, treated, and have a prescription sent to my local pharmacy if I need it, all within minutes. And if I have any questions before or after my visit, I can send unlimited messages to my care team anytime. Plus, Plush Care accepts most major insurance carriers and is available in all 50 states. And with how difficult things are if you're feeling anxious, depressed, or stressed about what's going on in the world, Plush Care doctors are here to help by discussing treatment options and providing prescriptions as needed. I can tell you personally, my Plush Care experience is been a breeze. And I love my doctor. All plush care doctors, are they've graduated from one of the top 50 medical schools in the country. They're all highly rated. So I get peace of mind there that I'm getting high quality health care, the highest quality health care. Plush care makes it easy for me to get excellent care I need when I need it. And with plush care, I don't put off seeing a doctor and neither should you. No more excuses. So make your appointment today. Go to plushcare.com slash daily beans. That's P-L-U-S-H-C-A-R-E.com slash daily beans. Again, plushcare.com slash daily beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are talking to professional defendant uh, and comedian, activist, actress, incredible, incredible human being, Kathy Griffin. Thank you for talking to me today. I want to talk now, you, you briefly before the break, you mentioned that your federal case was dismissed. And you, I think you had told the Daily Beast a little bit about, and Molly Jong Fast, by the way, who is just incredible uh, human person. Um, 
uh, t- talk about the judge because you you were like, who's the judge going to be? Uh, but this particular judge was like an 84 year old white guy and you were a little worried, but you found out some other stuff and it turned out to be OK. You mean my new boyfriend, the Honorable Judge William Bertelsman? That's yes. the man. And now I know judges' names. Um, I had to learn all this stuff. So yes, when you know when the case went to the federal level, I I'll be honest, I'm surprised it wasn't immediately dismissed. Um, I'm disappointed that the Sixth Circuit Court is even hearing the appeal, but okay. Um, and I was nervous because. Number one, um, you know, remember in in the Eastern District of Kentucky, all of these judges went through Mitch McConnell at some point, right? So I'm more apprehensive about the judges that might be on the panel for the appeal because, of course, my fear is getting three handpicked judges that were, you know, chosen in the last three and a half, four years by apparently Ginny Thomas, Clarence Thomas's wife, and the Federal Society picks judges now. Mm-hmm. All right. So this guy, I believe he was 84 years old. And while he was appointed by um, President Carter, I, who knows? I mean, I, I think that I would argue that prior to Trump, I would like to think it was an era of nonpartisan judges. At least that's what I was taught to believe. And so I was nervous because of his age. I thought, you know what, an older dude. Oh, let me just say older white dudes have not always been my friend. All right. There's a lot of, you know, let me just say based on executives in television uh, production companies and studios alone, there's just a real issue that I've run into a lot, just being an outspoken woman and being frankly a successful woman. And I, I like to earn money and I like to demand a certain rate if I can. And I'm always trying to get paid what the guys do. I don't, but I try, you know, so I, I, I'm a little gun shy about older white guys to begin with. And, um, you know, he, he considered the case for quite a while. I don't know how many months, but it was a while. And, and when he finally wrote his opinion, I, I, it was very thoughtful to my civilian ears and it was, it gave me some hope. You know, I thought, all right, this, the justice system is, it's slow, but it's working. And um, I really thought that was it. I thought, okay, now I can focus on the state case. And uh, I, I thought it would also frankly influence the state case. I thought that Judge Lape in the state case might go, well, at the federal level, they dis- dismissed it, I believe just based on jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. So the being you can't um you can't prosecute me for tweeting something in california saying i'm harming you in kentucky and so um uh it's you know so i i would say justice was served uh and i i will say in a way i almost felt for him because he had to write such a logical opinion about a case that i thought was really i obviously i think it's beyond the pale and um i can only hope that the appellate judges will the circuit court judges will i'm sure they'll read his opinion and his conclusion and and i'm hope i think he kind of did all the heavy lifting and i'm hoping that's how it goes so that hearing with the sixth circuit um and uh, you know i i read this case and i i think it's dismissible on jurisdiction as well uh i don't see how the the sixth circuit could take it up on the merits based on that um but that hearing's January twelfth, and you had mentioned the judges. Have they assigned judges? Because they usually just they randomly assign three ju- a three judge panel. Have they assigned you your judges yet? No, not yet. And that is what it's all I ask my attorneys about every day. I'm like, what are their names? What are their names? What are their names? And um, you know, from what I understand, the circuit court is fifteen judges, I believe, that rotate. And so you they they tell me that I won't know until a few days prior. So I don't know if it's the twelfth January twelfth. I don't know if I'll know the fifth or the ninth or whatever. But 
you know, it will be my, uh, my most pressing question for sure. Cause I'll, I'll just, you know, I mean, I'm just going to try to look them up online like anybody would, but I'm very curious to see when they're appointed and if there's anything interesting I can find out about them just for my own edification. I mean, obviously I'm not going to like write them letters or anything. No, right. <laughs> Send them a basket. Um, right. now assuming there's dark money funding this, their, their suit on their side. Let's just, I mean, I, this is a lot of money. Let me tell you something when you're, when you're rolling like this and when you're the plaintiff, nope, no insurance covers it. So yes, yeah, somebody is funding in its pages and pages of correspondence. It's showing up at hearings. Um, it's, it's several firms are involved. They're separate attorneys for the plaintiffs for the federal case and the state case, but I'm very curious. And I, and I, I don't know where the money is coming from, but you know, you're in McConnell, territory mm-hmm. whatever whatever that means to that region you know mm-hmm. yeah and and so assuming let's say they do dismiss uh on jurisdiction uh grounds <clears throat> and which would be finding in your favor because it would kick that back down to the district court and find that you know it would go on your new boyfriend's ruling i <laughs> assume that they would then appeal to either the en banc full circuit uh, of of the Sixth Circuit, which means they would have the whole fifteen, you know, or eleven judge bench hear it, or at least appeal mm-hmm. to have it to them to have it heard, or they might appeal it straight to the Supreme Court. Your shit could go to the Supreme Court. Well, you know, I, I it sounds as crazy as that sounds. Keep in mind, this is a crowd, not just the president, but you know, when when my original photo scandal happened in in May uh, of twenty seventeen. Um, you know, this came directly from Jeff Sessions and the DOJ. Um, I think we've all seen what Bill Barr and obviously what the Donald, the kind of minutia that they like getting involved in. And as crazy as it sounds, and as much as we want to think this sort of thing doesn't happen, and by the way, if you're a comedy fan, you kind of just don't want it to happen to a comedian, whether you're a fan of mine or not. But, um, you know, there, I guess one of the things I'm apprehensive about is you know, uh, this is the sort of chum that the Donald likes. This is the sort of story that Don Jr. likes to tweet about and that that whole crowd. Um, these folks have been coming at me since the photo. I mean, I I had these folks starting Twitter wars with me, all of them, Kaylee McAhooty and all the other ones and that whole gang and Rudy Giuliani and Alan Dershowitz and folks that frankly shouldn't really know who I am, you know? And um, this is the sort of thing that I believe makes their dear leader, the Donald happy. You know, Pat Cipollone um, went to Covington High. Uh, Lynn Wood is, yes. And so, um, you know, I I guess one of the things I'm nervous about and I, I I want to talk about it because I want people to understand when you are in the crosshairs of an authority figure like this or a crowd like this or a corrupt administration, in my opinion, like this, this is the sort of ways they can kind of shift their focus. So if it's me or if it's, you know, um, the, the, the Fox News army, you know, comes, comes after me and, the, and we all know the names that they have problems with and stuff. I, I have noticed in my own case that sometimes they kind of throw me in as chum when, you know, maybe uh, the Donald or his cronies have lost favor about this area or that area. So that's the sort of thing I think that's kept my little story and my issues with Trump going and going and going. So, for example, when the photo scandal first happened, it was that I was a member of ISIS, as crazy as that is, right? Now I'm wrapped up in the QAnon stuff. So now I'm on the Epstein flight log, which by the way is an Excel spreadsheet. Like the Epstein flight log doesn't even have a masthead. 
But, you know, now I'm killing babies in a basement with Hillary Clinton and Tom Hanks. And it's kind of the same folks that are perpetuating this stuff. And I, I think that's probably why I ended up in the being a target of the Covington folks to, to begin with. And I'm sure I represent to them, um, you know, like I said, there's probably a lot of misogyny issues. There might be a, some ageism issues, in my opinion, uh, and also representing a very loud voice against Trump from a very, you know, an early time. Yeah. Strong women who swear uh, they have... <laughs> I know hates from, them. he hates them. I know from firsthand experience. <laughs> um, yeah. What's really amazing to me about this case is that when you peel away the jurisdictional uh, issues, right, when you peel away what they will probably dismiss the case for at its heart, if this case were heard on the merits uh, and not just dismissed for jurisdiction, this is a First Amendment case. And I, I think that these kind of cases, especially for comedians, and I spent 10 years as a comic. At, mm-hmm. at like deep in my soul, this is where I'm like, these are your First Amendment rights. I'm fighting right now uh, for my First Amendment rights to host a podcast that was anti political, you know, anti Trump or resistance podcast uh, mm-hmm. while I worked for the federal government. Those are my First Amendment rights. Uh, in case you were wondering, Kaylee McEnany always talks about, you know, these are my First Amendment rights. I get to have them, you know, even though I work for the government. Well, yeah, the far right has decided to co opt that phrase and that battle really from our team and obviously comedians and like you said folks that are in working within a government agency and still want to speak out in whatever way that's covered by the first amendment that's been really our battle for as long as i can remember so this new notion that the right wing is trying to co-opt the first amendment by sometimes violating it i mean i would certainly it's very obvious to me that you don't do anything to incite violence i've never done anything to incite violence but that's their that's their uh argument and yet i see which by the way i'm not saying that they are violating the first amendment i'm not a first amendment attorney either however there's a giant chasm between what you and i do and like we we've discussed whether it's linwood or any one of these you know it's uh you know uh, steve bannon and any one of those folks that go on youtube Every day, all day. Mike Flynn. Yes. Right? Mike Flynn calling for an uprising and a military coup. Well, not only that, saying like, and by the way, we can, and it's happened just like this 64 times. I mean, they really kind of go to the mat in a way that is much more of a call to arms. I mean, if you didn't like my photo, that's absolutely fine, of course. And I, if I can't talk about the Covington incident, which really everybody was, many, many people were weighing in about that. Um, and if you can't see the difference between folks who are actually tied to the president calling for people to die for him, and then subsequently, very quickly, you'll find plenty of video of his followers saying, I will die for him. They believe this, you know. So uh, that's something that's it's a shame that so many people kind of can go there and buy that. So what is your, I'm just curious, what is your opinion about, you know, it, how are you feeling about these folks, whether it's a third of our nation or not, which is very depressing. But, you know, do you feel there's a window to sort of see, get these folks to come around for their own benefit? Or do you feel like this could be a 10, 20 year process? And some of these folks are going to go to their grave thinking that he was emperor of earth and all that stuff or what? I I think we should treat it like a cult and it's going to be very hard to dissect and separate people from it. I, I think it could take a very long time. Hopefully, and thankfully, I don't think there are too many uh, that mm-hmm. are that extreme. But, you know, that, that the things that Trump 
says incite violence. Look at what happened, like you said, with Gretchen Whitmer, her attempted kidnapping and murder. Um, yeah. the, the bombing that the guy who tried to bomb CNN, um, you know, the, the, what happened at the Michigan state house, what happened outside, um, the secretary of state's home, the, yeah. these, that is successful inciting of violence. How many people tried to go and, and I don't know, assassinate the president because you had that photo. It's not, it doesn't work that way. Right. So it's the, yeah. the hypocrisy is inc- incredible. And, and, and Kathy, what I, I, Kyle Rittenhouse, Kyle Rittenhouse, yes. never, never, I mean, if you remember Dylan and Klebold, I mean, that family had to like hide in shame. There was nobody deifying the Columbine murderers, you know, maybe at the most you'd sort of try to understand why they would, it, I, I can't, I can't believe that we're living through a time where, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse is a hero to people and people are putting their money where their mouth, their mouth is. So I, I think to be honest, I'm not saying that, you know, that the Covington kids are Kyle Rittenhouse. I'm saying that when I saw their behavior, it doesn't seem like the biggest stretch to me, just an American watching the news cycle like everybody else, that that would be a breeding ground for Kyle Rittenhouse's. Mm-hmm. And I, of course, I fear that that's not the last one we're going to see. And watching that unfold in real time is, is very frightening to me. And I, and yet I'm confused by why more parents aren't saying, okay, I might be a Trump fan, but I don't want my kid taking an AK and crossing state lines and murdering people. So that I guess I guess I'm still in disbelief about so much of it, but I do agree with you. It does seem to be uh, very analogous to a cult. Um, and by the way, I've been watching during COVID. I've been watching everything I can about every cult I can. Mm. I'm now fascinated by cults because I feel like a third of our country has become Heaven's Gate, Scientology, and Nexium all rolled into one. Yep, I just well, I've just finished the Nexium one. Holy hell. Um, I know. And it goes deeper than that, too. Uh, Trump inciting violence with the police uh, and that, you know, from yeah. what happened with, with George Floyd and Tamir, like all of it is yeah. it's all connected. And, you know, I told dick jokes for nine years. Right. And Yay! then and then I started doing political stuff. And that's Ooh. when they came after me. So they were they were fine with dick jokes. Right. Right. Yeah. Hey, look. I, I, I don't, you know, I, it really breaks my heart to think I've lost, you know, whatever, half of my touring audience, possibly forever, because, you know, when you're a touring artist, as you know, there, there are different parts of the country that have a different vibe, you know, you're going to do, I would do a little different material in, you know, New York than I would do in uh, Lafayette, you know, but one thing I always loved about my Southern audiences is they kind of had this like, oh, I like you because you say the stuff I'm afraid to say and you're just going to go there, girl, and often can be really fun, raucous audiences. And it it does break my heart to think a lot of those folks who bought tickets over the years, I've been touring for decades, and they have a ticket that says an evening with Kathy Griffin, and now they think I'm an ISIS or I'm I'm a Satan worshiper with, you know, Seth Green. Seth Green, by the way. What, how did <laughs> see that coming but anyway <laughs> you know that that is the part that i think i feel some genuine sadness about and not to mention of all people they're doing it for donald freaking trump yeah i mean yeah the final insult and, uh, and all new yorkers are like what the fuck we've hated this guy for decades right? um, yes it's, it's just it's the hypocrisy is astounding but it's so cult like at the time i would run into the donald over the years i would turn to him at some event and go how'd you get in 
Like this guy was a buffoon, you know? First of all, I worked for NBC Universal when he was doing The Apprentice. I would see him at upfronts all the time and press events. And, you know, I, I thought he was harmless. I thought he was like this harmless, like bloviating sort of buffoon type. Um, and uh, it, it's, 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 you know, which came first? Was he always like this or did they make him that, that easily? I will say though, I'm of the school where I don't think he's an evil genius at all. I think he's just like a malleable. I, I also think he's, there's like some screws loose, you know, big time. But uh, no, I don't think there's the, what do they call it? The three-dimensional chess? No, there's no chess. There's just, I don't know, I guess the same old like abusive power grabby stuff. He's an angry, narcissistic child, uh, you know, who who instead of taking his toys and go ho- go going home, he just breaks your toys. And just right now, the toys happen to be democracy. Um, yeah. I think that's oh. what we're up against. Uh, I am so thankful that you came on to talk to us today. We're going to keep following your case. I would love to speak to you again if you get the chance. Can you tell everybody where they can find you, what you're doing, what you're up to, so we can support you? Yes. Well, um, I made a film called Kathy Griffin, A Hell of a Story, and um, it won a bunch of awards at film festivals. So you can see it on Amazon or I think it's on like Apple and stuff. But just look up Kathy Griffin, A Hell of a Story. Hopefully you really like it. And um you know, other than that, follow me on the Twitter machine and see what I'm up to. And then hopefully after COVID, I can get off the blacklist and tour again and make a living and make all you guys laugh, which is really all I ever wanted. You always do. Thanks so much for, for, for today. I really appreciate it. It was an honor. Kathy Griffin, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's AAG. Thanks for listening to The Daily Beans. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by Raycon. If you've been listening for a while, you've heard me talk about Raycon earbuds. They make the best wireless earbuds anywhere, and for a fraction of the cost, everyone needs to get a pair of these wireless earbuds. And, you know, you can easily drop a couple hundred bucks on a pair, but instead, check out Raycon. Their earbuds started about half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and they sound just as amazing or better than the other top audio brands. They have, they have the new model, the Everyday E25 earbuds. They're their best ones yet. They have six hours of play time. Seems Bluetooth pairing. They have a deep, rich bass, and they're more compact, and they give you a nice noise-isolating fit. I love Raycon's wireless earbuds because they're super comfortable. They don't give me headaches like some of the other earbuds on the market. And everybody can use better earbuds, so Raycon's are much more comfortable. Like I said, I've tried them all. They're stylish and discreet. They don't have the dangling wires or the little stems sticking out, so they don't distract during video calls. And the sound is clear. No wonder celebrities like Melissa Etheridge and Snoop Dogg and Cardi B all use Raycon's. Hopefully next, they'll record a song together, and it will be a jam. I don't know. We'll see. I'd like to have them on the podcast. Are you listening? Snoop Dogg, come on the podcast. Anyway, pick up a pair of Raycon wireless earbuds today and see what the hype is about. Now it's time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon, and you can get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash starburns. That's buyraycon, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash starburns for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash starburns. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Ah, it's that part of the day. It's the good news, confessions, corrections part of the day. How are you? I am good. It is a great part ready? of the day. Yes, let's do this. All right, here we go. First up, submission. For, oh, by the way, if you want to submit any good news, personal, political, professional good news, uh, just want to send us some photos of your pod pets or your kids uh, or your uh, holiday decorations, or if you have a confession or correction, dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. That's how you do that. 
Uh, first up from Mary, pronouns she and her. Hi, ladies. AG, I was really sad to hear you fell and got hurt while running. I loved running before COVID, but the pandemic and stress fracture hit me at the same time, and running hasn't happened in months. I am, however, signing up for a run, virtual, of course, with a friend in a few weeks. I need long enough to get my butt back to it. In addition to pod dog picks, I wanted to share some get well picks my eight and five-year-old drew for you. <gasps> the scribble one has rainbows, quote unquote, and the other one has red blood cells. I hope you feel better soon and we can both get back out running. Oh my gosh. This is so sweet. Oh, there they are. Red blood cells healing my body. Yep. I can see them. These are fantastic. These are fantastic. Oh, oh. Yes. There's doggos. There's the dog with socks. Socks dog. Hello. Just toe socks, though. Toe socks. So cute. Thank you very much, Mary. And thanks to your eight and five-year-olds. These are beautiful drawings. These are art. So, so sweet. All right. Our next submission. This is from Guy. In parentheses. Are you kidding? My name is Guy Chapman. And my middle name is Andre from the Greek Andros also meaning man. So this guy is guy man. <laughs> no pronouns given. <laughs> that must be why he gave no pronouns. Look, you kidding? That's right. Guy. It's kind of obvious. It's guy man. All right. <laughs> so for the, for the last four years, I've been remodeling my house. And for most of that time, the kitchen has been ground zero. No ceiling, plaster falling off the walls, and the scene of all kinds of construction activity because it's a big space, over seven meters long. Uh, we're working backwards through the house, and the kitchen is pretty much last. Lockdown hit in the UK just as I was starting the kitchen itself, and all the builders' yards shut. Ugh. A total hold for over two months. As restrictions lifted, I started getting materials in, rewiring, plumbing, sorting out the doors, and glazing, then plastering. Only one, um, the only job I don't do myself is plastering. It has a lot of customizations, such as pull-out step to help with kneading and mixing, and a separate coffee station so I don't mess up Felicity Sink. And now, a couple of days before Christmas, it's all done! Apart from painting in the art. Mm. Architraves. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Okay, architraves uh, and skirting. It's it's probably some sort of a building word. Uh, Mm. Anyway, my beloved wife of thirty-two years will be able to cook in her new space, albeit for a much reduced audience. Merry Christmas to Felicity and her new kitchen and all the Illuminati wherever you cook. Oh, look at this! This is so sweet. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, I love the drawer. Oh, I love that step up that you can stand on. I know that's so to cute. Bread. Yeah, the pantry's lovely too. Well done, well done, guy man. Good job, guy man. No pronouns needed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, next up from Phil, pronouns he and him. Facing the fact that I'm spending Christmas alone at home this year, I decided to buy a tree for the first time, and I got me a big one. Unfortunately, such a tall tree looks especially empty without lots of gifts underneath, and there's only me. Luckily, my next-door neighbor, a professional Santa, came by and offered to give me the huge stack of fake Christmas gifts that he uses as a backdrop while Santa-ing. A wonderful Christmas gesture, and problem solved, one might think. But then I started worrying. Given the recent shenanigans at the post office, what if gifts from my family don't arrive on time, leaving me with nothing but empty boxes under the tree? Furthermore, even if the family gifts arrive on time, what if they suck? Not to worry. Yesterday, I went out and bought myself a shit ton of really nice presents, and today I'm wrapping them and burying the uh, the tree (laughs) behind an even more humongous pile of loot. Uh, This turned out to be such a brilliant idea, I may go out and buy even more presents today. (laughs) If the family gifts do arrive on time... 
So much the better. Plus, after I'm done, I get to send photos to everyone just so they know how I won Christmas. It's been a rough year. Be your own Santa. Sorry for the lack of photo. My camera is wrapped up under the tree. Oh, my God. What a great submission, Phil. This is wonderful. You should write professionally, Phil. I love this. Seriously, I love it. Oh, my God. There's already a picture peeking through the next one as I scroll down. I can't. I can't. All right. This one's from Ellen. Pronouns she and her. Our office holiday party was on Zoom, complete with an ugly sweater contest. I didn't have a Christmas sweater, but wanted to take part. I decided to improvise with the ugliest thing I could think of. I Googled pictures of Trump and Rudy, printed out the ugliest ones, oh, God, I could find, and pinned them to my ugly home office cardigan. I'm happy to say I won the contest. (laughs) Here's... Here's a picture of my late dog, Chip, on the last day of work with me. Also, damn it, Donald, one of the hundreds I've made since the orange one was inaugurated after either Chip or I got done with him. Okay, Chip, rest his soul, is absolutely perfect Mm -hmm. and beautiful. And the the damn it doll is definitely destroyed. Well done. Well done. I think Ellen sent me some of those. I, I remember these. They're wonderful. The damn it, Donalds. Yeah, boy. Chip took care of that one. Woo. All right, next up. Looks like we got a confession here from Lana Bandana. Pronouns she and her. Hi, AG and Dana. My hubby and I pulled my 81-year-old MAGA mom out of assisted living back in April. We have been self-quarantining for over 300 days and still COVID-free. My mom is what we call in healthcare a train wreck and will die (laughs) if she gets covid So lots of stories to share, but this is more of a needed confession. My neighbor, who is like my adopted brother, thinks with his dick. (laughs) He has a fuck buddy who he has a fuck buddy who is a super spreader. That is such a 2020 statement, by the way. Seriously. She is a practicing alcoholic, maggot and teabagger, anti-masker who looks and acts just like my husband's ex-wife. Now, it's been over 40 years, but this horrible lady triggers my rage, and after listening to Dr. Jesse this morning, I now give myself permission to feel this rage and grief in this pandemic situation. I have a good-sized toolbox of life skills, but fuck this hard. (laughs) Confession. I have become harmlessly passive-aggressive in this situation only, and it helps my feelings of helplessness. One, I now smoke the most obnoxious-smelling marijuana. I can. Outside. And often. Number two. I slam my metal door occasionally. Okay, a lot, which is very immature, I know. And three, I wear my mask anywhere outside, which I do anyways, for my protection and a visual reminder to him that he is still behaving like a dick. I've been a follower for several years. I loved it um, when it was more casual and fun and non-intimidating. Now I appreciate the more serious platform uh, for more serious times. Thank you and love you from AZ from Arizona. P.S. Still working on the masks. 1,500 plus so far. Nice. Nice. Good job, Lana Bandana. Did we go from relaxed to serious? Are we serious? I was going to let that one go, but it sure seemed like that's what she said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll try and uh, we'll try and line it up. Mm. All right. All right. This next one is from Anonymous, doctor though, uh, pronouns he and him. I'm a scientist working in public health, currently doing genetic analysis for the health department in Melbourne, Australia. Having escaped here from Michigan soon after the entrumping, entrumpening, the entrumpening, (laughs) I have been keeping a worried eye on how the U.S. has been faring. As your correspondents often mention, dealing with the tsunami of stupid that has been 2020 with grace and humor is a tough balancing act managed impressively by AGDGARAC et al. Glad to have found your voices. You all are clearly a coterie of 
coterie of bas- mm. uh, badasses. My good news is thus. After a year of working from home solitary, lockdown curfew, my mental health has taken a hit. Enter Cricket, the adorable rescue pup adopted by a dear friend. I have assumed dog uncle status with my dog mom needs a break and playing with a pupper is the best therapy. Uh, Pod pet pod pup picks attached, obviously. Uh, She is all ears and snoot. Oh my goodness. Oh... How cute. Well, if Dr. Anonymous is doing analysis for a health department uh, and is, you know, sickened by the stupidity, he must have loved the tweet put out by the OAN reporter about vaccines. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm sure. What a mess. What if, and stick with me here, we used a weak bit of the virus to build up our antibodies for when the real thing... You know, when I was four or five, I had this series of books about inventors and important people like Mary Curie and stuff and mm-hmm. Jonas Salk. And there was one about Louis Pasteur and his rabies vaccine, you know. And I that is when I learned at age four, maybe five, about how what, what a vaccine is. Now, oh. maybe I'm – I'm not special – that is not a parody tweet. Okay, I just still can't get over it. Okay. <laughs> oh, the the one with the Kong, with the dog, with the Kong. Oh my god, that's so adorable. cute. And he's got a mar. He's got a marmite pillow. All right, sir. I love it. Okay, doctor from Michigan, now living in Australia. Save me some space. I want to go down there and live. No, he's a, he's a pretty handsome dude too. Awesome, cute puppers. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Uh, for your submissions. Did you see my dating app tweet, Dana? No, I'll have to go look. I tweeted something about how I wanted somebody to invent uh, a dating app that somehow uh, attracted narcissistic, abusive a-holes away from us so that we could create our own dating app, That like, but we all knew about it, you know, but they didn't. That's, that sounds like a good plan to me. Yeah. And somebody says, uh, you're on it. It's called Twitter. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. <clears throat> right. <laughs> Parlor may be the other one, though. I think. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's fair. That would be my first question. If I were dating, if I were out in the dating scene right now, I'd be like, oh, what's your Parlor handle? And if they gave me one, I would just zoop, ghost. Yep, that's phantom. it. Phantom. <laughs> you can call me the phantom, the Parlor Phantom. I'm out. All right, everybody, if you want to submit stuff, you do that at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Any thoughts before we get out of here? Um, I'm just I'm gearing up for my show at the end of the year. And I, AG, I just took the, the best picture for the poster. So I can't wait to share it. Once we get that going, I'll make sure AG gets it up in the Facebook group and you all know about it. So you know where to tune in. But I'm, I'm actually getting more and more excited about it. I'll have to send you a, a preview. I'll text it to you. Oh, awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, when is the end of the year show? Uh, the end of the year, we're looking for New Year's Eve. So I know there's a lot of people nice. that are stuck at home and being responsible. And so we'll probably end up doing six o'clock Pacific, which will be nine o'clock Eastern. So I don't lose our Eastern listeners. And uh, if you're around the world, I'd have no idea if you're even going to be awake, but we'll make sure that if you can even get onto the Facebook or my YouTube that you'll be able to see it. So awesome. I got some friends lined up, a couple comedians and Mary Trump's going to join me for just a small segment to tell 2020 to go fuck itself <laughs> oh that's gonna be awesome yeah i want to crash that party i want to audit that class that sounds like fun <laughs> 
Oh, awesome. All right. Well, everybody, and big thanks to Kathy Griffin for coming on today. That was amazing that she took some time out to talk to us for so long. So I appreciate you, Kathy. And uh, everybody, until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.